0: On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with our old friend and reoccurring guest, Brady Riggs, in a master's preview. Um, talk about um, who uh, is um, hot coming into uh, Augusta and who we think will contend and the state of their games. Uh, and um, we also talk about the live golfers who will be facing... Um, the PGA Tours players, uh, in this first major of the year. Uh, and, um, also talk about, uh, the length and 13th hole and distance generally, and the USGA proposed model local rule, uh, that came out a few weeks ago on a shortened golf ball for elite male competitors. And, and speaking of Liv, we also talk about the PGA Tour, uh, response to live with their latest structure with, um, uh, the designated events, how those have evolved into limited field events with no cuts. And, um, and we also wrap up with um, uh, Rose Zhang's victory in the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Uh, so all of that um, upcoming on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy with Top 100 Teacher Brady Riggs. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, and we are fortunate to have our reoccurring guest, Top 100 teacher, uh, Brady Riggs. Brady, good to see you. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Larry. What's going on with you?
0: Well, it's that week, so we have to get together mm-hmm. because it's a tradition unlike any other. Um, Indeed it's it is. time for the Masters. <laughs> um So we um, wanted to pick up with you. We haven't chatted for a few months, but um, we are now sort of done with um, a third of the season uh, or three months, I should say, of the season. And um, kind of some interesting things going out there as we um, sort of get into Augusta. Um, And um, Scotty Scheffler seems to be kind of like where he was a year ago, kind of on a tear with wins at Phoenix and, um, the players um Jordan' speed I was always interesting in the mix a couple of times um seemingly let a few things slip away at Bay Hill and and at Tampa at the Valspar John Rahm, victory out here in our neck of the woods uh at Riviera and uh Rory's been playing well tell me your thoughts on the these guys and and any others as we sort of head into the Masters who's impressed you and who do you kind of think uh, maybe has the pole position as we head into Augusta?
1: Well, it's hard to not have Scheffler be the favorite at this point. You know, he's won a couple times this year. He's playing great. He just won the players. He's a defending champion. He seems to be unfazed by the moment regardless. You know, he's been he, he's, he, he comes through in the clutch probably better than anybody in the game right now. So he's, I think, the the no-doubt number one pick. Um, but there are guys that are playing well. Rory had a really good week at the match play, coming off a disappointing week at the player. So it seems to be he's rounding into form with the new driver and new putter. He putted pretty well, especially the last couple of days in Texas. So that was encouraging. I think that's really the thing that's been holding him back. Yeah, you know, when he's unable to execute at Augusta, usually in the, in the early rounds, you know, he he finds a way back into contention, but Rory's got to get through Thursday. You know, if he can get through Thursday, I think he'll be interesting, but he's been shooting himself out of the tournament on day one, most, most recently. So, uh, Rom, you know, he had a great start to the season, obviously Kapalua and then at Riviera, but I, seems like he's not quite playing as well, but, you know, he's pretty high standard in the beginning of the year that he was playing yeah. on. So when he's playing well, I don't know that there's anybody that's better than he is. Um, so he's going to be interesting. I think Homa is another guy who's just consistently week in and week out, plays really good golf. He got out of his group at the match play, which was good. Um, Burns, to me, is really the, the sleeper pick at this mm. point. So... You know, he had a pretty poor start to the year, but yep. found something. And, you know, guys that are on the rise in terms of f- recent form are always the most, to me, interesting picks to take because, you know, golf's a game of momentum, so they're playing really well at this point. I think Burns, you know, if it wasn't for Scheffler, don't you think we'd be talking about him yes. a lot more? Yes. I mean, he's won a lot of golf tournaments, you know, and, and it's almost like nobody even talks about him. It's an, it's really bizarre. But he tends to win, you know, so I think he's a guy that he there's no missing pieces in his game, you know, at this point. And he's he's seems to be fine when the moment asks him to play really well. He plays really well. So he's my pick right now of the of ah. the sleepers, you know. I think Oh, okay. I like I like him right now. I have I have him. I like I think I have a feeling Xander's do, you know, to have a really yeah. good week. You know, he's been playing pretty well. Also, you know, Jason Day's a pretty popular pick right now because he's he had is. so much consistency this year. Right. Um, and, he had, you know, heartbreak at Augusta he's had there. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I I have trouble pulling the trigger on him. I like Siwoo Kim this week. I think he's, you know, part of the – Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think he's playing good. Tom Kim, you know, great ball striker. I just don't know if he's playing as well, you know. Uh, out of the Korean South Korean contingent, so I, I like Siwoo this week too. I think there's it's it's pretty wide open. I was looking at the field today, and you know, eighty eight players this this week seems like a good thirty have a chance to win. I don't which know if is you can, what, which if is which is a, a number in your head. That's probably yeah. more than I, mean, I usually, would say,
0: but I could see that. It's certainly more than you would normally say, right?
1: I think so. You know, I think you know. Usually, you're talking fifteen max. Right. You know, maybe ten. Right. Yeah. But it seems a lot more wide open than than it usually is. So that's interesting too. Because I mean, even a guy like Tom Hoagie, you know, hits it really, really good. He he's does. he's you know kind of seems like the right mindset to go down there and play well. You know, he's he's kind of an every man, not afraid of it. So
0: totally, I
1: think it's, it's going to be an, a wide open tournament this week. You know, maybe Bernard Langer. We should consider him too. <laughs>
0: He's amazing, right? Ageless. I mean... It's
1: just ridiculous. I mean, he's 60... Was he 64? I think so. Uh, I mean, I. whoever thought he'd get to Hale Irwin's number, but... I was just
0: going to say, I thought Irwin's record as a senior was about as untouchable as there was a record in golf, and I never would have expected this, but he's been... I mean, obviously, had a great career, you know, um, you know, during, uh, you know, two masters, etc., you know, during his regular time of the tour, but... His his time as a senior and, and it's just been incredible. And at Augusta, he is, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, he's been in the mix on the weekends. It's remarkable, right?
1: It is. I mean, considering what clubs he's hitting into those greens. Right. It's pretty astounding that he's able to still put up numbers. I mean, it'd be hard to bet against him making the cut. Right. You know, I mean, he won the golf tournament twice. Granted, it was ridiculously, I mean, 1985, right? I mean, right. it's just mind-boggling to think that a guy that won this golf tournament almost 40 years ago has a chance to go make a cut in it. That's amazing. But he does, you know? So I, I think he's he's going to be fun. I mean, that's kind of always one of the fun th- stories about Augusta. I think Larry Mize said this is his last time around. Right,
0: so right. He that's
1: kind of interesting. So, you know, it's all the great things that we love about the golf tournament. You know, the, the women's AM was great. You know, I thought that I know you talked about Rojang and she's, of course, from your alma mater. So you're a big fan. And yeah, I mean, she's just a phenomenal player. The course always seems to bring out excitement on the back nine. So I think we could we could have a lot of people in contention this year. I think that would be really fun.
0: And it, it, it always, you know, the famous line is the tournament never starts until the back night on Sunday. And that always seems to be true. Well, we're definitely going to get to Rose. I definitely, as you would suspect, want to talk about her. But let, let's go back because I don't know you and I've ever talked that much about Scotty, And I'm interested in the following. I mean, when you watch his, his game is incredible, The short game, everything, you know, fearless, you know, in clutch, agreed. From a technical standpoint, and maybe this shows there's a lot more to the game than technical stuff, but from a Mm -hmm. technical standpoint, you know, when you watch that swing, those feet all move around and stuff, especially with the driver. Um, I'm curious kind of what your take is on that, because it doesn't exactly look like a classic sort of, you know, he's not Adam Scott. I mean, I'm just curious what you think of that.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you look at him through the bag, technically, let's start with the putter, which is interesting. He's got He's got a great stroke. He's yep. He's got kind of a longer backstroke, shorter follow-through kind of stroke, which is, yep. you know, as Crenshaw said, he, he liked to let the putter head fall on the ball. And I, I think you see that with Scheffler too. Guys that putt really well at Augusta tend to have that stroke. Yep. You know, the accelerators are not really good out there, right? To ask Nick Price, you know, just that's not a good way to putt, I, I don't think, at Augusta. So I, I like his stroke for that. His short game. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for being. I, I agree.
0: He's amazing around the greens.
1: He's fantastic. I mean, he's as good as anybody in the world right now when missing a green, you know. And that's why, like guys like Hovland and and even Morikawa get a little scary to pick at Augusta because if you can't hit a pitch off a tight lie to an elevated green and have some serious confidence in what you're doing probably going to have trouble doing that you know right and you're going to take some more routes to the hole that may be a little more conservative which gets you further from the hole and it's probably once around maybe twice around that that could hurt you but that's enough you know over four rounds to to not win that golf tournament when the rest of their games may be good enough his iron play is phenomenal I mean Scheffler's a great great iron player and the driver you know he's like a lot of guys that are free swinging higher arms guys that are they just have a lot of looseness in their swing and it, it right. It's it's not like he's tight up there. You know, you don't ever get the sense like he's no a that's technician. for sure. no and I like that. He's not a technician, you know, he's he's definitely freewheeling. He talked about his feet moving all over, and what's interesting, I was going back and I looked at some swings of Seve back when he won at Augusta. And everybody talks about Justin Thomas's left foot and how it steps out and how we see that right. across the the world in golf on the women's side and the men's side that yep. players are pushing off the front foot and getting airborne, and all that stuff. But Seve did that, you know, forty five years ago. He was doing the same thing at Augusta. So it's not like it's new, but Scheffler doesn't really do it that way. You know, his feet are more flailing about than they are right. utilizing right. maximum ground reaction right. force. So I think from that standpoint, it's kind of interesting because he is—he just seems like a guy who's who's just playing the game instead of trying to be a technician, right? You know, and I think that there's something to be said for that at a place like Augusta, where creativity and you know, feel and trust are our name of the game. And he's sort of built for that place, so he hits it high, and he's got those. It's Nicholas asked, you know, with the higher hands at the top and the freedom. So I I think he's, he's technically great, just a little weird with the feet, but if you look at all the the rest of his game though, like all those other aspects of his game, I think are technically, you know, incredibly sound. And they're also kind of built for Augusta. You know, they have, they have a freedom that, that makes sense. there.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, It, uh, and you know, I, and I know you admire this in teachers, you know, Randy Smith, you know, taught him, taught Justin Leonard, very different players. (laughs) And, you know, I know you appreciate, you know, someone who's not just a method guy, but takes, you know, what he has to work with and makes the most of it. And um, obviously Randy's taught a lot more people than just those two, but, you know, two notable people, really different games, right?
1: I think, I mean, it sort of solidifies his career, in my opinion, as one of the best teachers of the generation, because, You know, it's one thing to teach one guy who swings one way, right? And then to try to teach everybody to swing like that one guy or girl or whatever. But Randy Smith, I mean, you probably can't have two more different techniques than Scheffler and Justin Leonard. But they both suit those guys' game, you know? Like, I look at Justin Leonard remember, you know, flatter swing and, uh, you know, always had the top button buttoned. You right. know, the polo and the whole thing. <laughs> yep. and sort of, you know, super conservative yep. with his dress. Played very close to the vest. Makes sense. And then you got a guy like Scheffler could probably couldn't be any more different. And he gets the most out of both of them. So, yeah, I, I think Randy Smith deserves a lot of credit. But, you know, I think the teachers get too much credit and too much blame. You know, the players <laughs> probably deserve They get it on
0: both ends, ends right? <laughs> they get it on both
1: ends. So I think he's, you know, I think Scheffler's, He's a special player, but it takes a really, really great coach to leave somebody alone. And when they have something unique in their swing to let them be who they are. And he's done that. So hats off to him. He deserves all the credit he's getting right now.
0: For sure. And I got to, you you know, uh, I'm a big Jordan Spieth guy, so I got to spend a minute on him with you. I mean, he was sort of in the wilderness mm-hmm. for a few years, um, you know, kind of like, um Rory, in terms of his start, you know, comes out on the tour, you know, just gangbusters, you know, wins, you know, uh, well, courtesy of Dustin's three pub, but, you know, wins the US Open, wins the Masters, you know, huge disappointment in 2016, with, of course, with the seven on the 12th hole, but then 2017, that stunning turnaround at the British open against Kucher, And, you know, so he's got at a really young age, he's three quarters of the way to the grand slam. Um, and, um, you know, played in the Byron Nelson when he was 16. I mean, just this stellar career. And then he kind of goes into the wilderness, but sticks with, you know, his guy, Cameron, and he's won, at least the last two years, two years ago, the Valero, Last year, um, you know, courtesy a little bit of Cantley's lion that bunker on 18, but you know, wins the Heritage. Um, so he's you know been won each of the last two years, but he just it's like to me he's like the most entertaining guy to watch because you don't know what's going to happen. He could miss a two foot putt. He could hit this crazy recovery shot. I mean, kind of all over the place, don't you think?
1: Yeah, he's he's really turned into probably one of the most entertaining guys on the golf course to watch when it comes to tee to green and on the green, you know, when he was, when he was a, when he was a phenom and he'd won those majors and you thought he was going to win a bunch more. Of course, we know how hard it is to get that fourth yeah. one, but he he was, the putting was obviously what set him apart. I mean, he made his percentage of putts made from 20 feet was absolutely crazy. Ridiculous. All the long
0: putts. I remember that 20, 25, no. 30 footers was crazy. Just,
1: at a at a clip twice the PJ Tour average, he was making right. much fun. So, but now I think he might be a better ball striker than he is than he was then. And you know that we've had this conversation about Jordan Spieth at this tournament, and I've said that I think Cam McCormick and him are a great team, and that he should stick with him. Yeah, because I thought they were working on stuff that made perfect sense, and you know I think it's paid off that he stuck with McCormick. I mean, you can yeah. see that he's. He's hitting it better. He did have a big miss on the seventeenth hole, uh, coming down the stretch. Right where he hit in the water a couple weeks. Oh ago. my
0: god! He just hit that so far right.
1: That was a bad, bad, bad miss. But you know, other than that, he's he's hit the ball quite well, and he did make one of the best bogeys I think I've ever oh, seen. Totally That's ridiculous, right? <laughs> but his short game is is phenomenal, and it's really a matter now if he can make putts. Right, you know, he tends to miss short ones uh almost every week. And you know, there's probably been a lot of masters champions that have missed a putt inside six feet during the tournament. But there's other guys that have been, you know, 100 percent when you're talking yeah. about those shorter putts. I mean, that seems to be a trait. The guys are just not missing those putts because you're gonna have them. You're gonna have them on long lag putts that you're gonna leave yourself oh, some fantastic sure. putts. Yeah. You miss a green and it's super tough to get it close. I mean, you're going to have to be incredibly solid in that range, and it makes you worry for him and for Rory that they both struggle on those shorter putts. So I I think Spieth's got to be in anybody's top 10 this week. You know, if you're picking, I think I can't imagine that he wouldn't be up there because he's won at that tournament. I was thinking today, I was thinking about it, that like every year it's the Rory Masters Grand Slam talk, right? Right. Every single year. And we it's hard, We even don't even talk about it when it comes to Spieth and the PGA. I know, <laughs> which is so weird because it's the exact same situation, right? Still, they're both playing for the same thing, but it's you know it's just not. It doesn't have the magnitude. I don't think of Rory and Augusta because of what happened. You know, when Rory hooked it on ten and watched it all go away.
0: Yeah, yeah that that. 40 some odd, whatever he shot that day. I mean, uh, that was just Brutal. painful to watch. I don't think hardest. I still can vision him up there near the cabins. I'd never <laughs> seen anyone that far left on 10, but, Bastard. um, you know, that image is pretty there. So you talked about it being a fairly open tournament. I don't disagree. We got to talk in that regard about, um, the, uh, I think it's 18 live golfers are playing. Um, and, um, uh, so this will be so interesting on so many levels. Um, I agree with the folks who say this is kind of significant the masters and the other majors because it's the one chance we're going to see live people perform, you know, against top competition. And, um, I just gotta, I, I just gotta wonder if they're really tournament ready. That's got to be. it's got to be hard to sort of be playing in these, you know, 54 hole and, you know, not particularly great courses and, you know, and, and then you come into Augusta. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, normally we'd look at that list of players and you've got Cam Smith, who of course has been phenomenal at Augusta the last couple of years, played with Scheffler last year in the final group. Um, And, 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 you know, and others, I mean, you know, there are a lot of names in that group, but, you you think they could sort of contend, you know, just coming right off live into this tournament?
1: I hope not. Um, I hope they play horribly. <laughs> <That's> an... <laughs> that would be that would be make me really happy. I think <laughs> I mean Cam Smith's had a horrible year on a tour that's far less competitive than probably the Latin American tour. Yeah. He's played terribly, terribly. You have Kepka, who just won this last week on a golf course that probably isn't as good as Harding or Wilson at Griffith Park, for those of you in Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, DJ is DJ. I don't think it matters what DJ's playing in, because he probably doesn't even know, probably couldn't spell the name of the tournament. So it's DJ being DJ. And then, you know, Patrick Reed played three decent rounds. Okay, great. I, I... I, you know what what are you going to do? There's there's the four guys I think that you have to look at and say all right if anybody's going to be in contention out of that group of of guys from that ridiculous tour those would be the four guys that you would think might have have something to say about things but it's going to be a bit of a test you know to see can you can you be in a completely non competitive situation for the last six months and step out onto the biggest tournament in the world with all the the normal pressure that you have to try and win, but then you add this whole ridiculous thing with their their pied piper of stupidity, Norman leading the charge. You know, there's a lot of other things going on that that may be more than anyone wants to have to deal with. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting week to see how they fare. I still don't know how a lot of those guys are in this field. I don't now know how Kevin Na's in this field. I don't know how Abraham answers in this field. Thomas Peters, there's a lot of guys that are in this field that you look at, you're like, how the heck is this guy in this field? But it'll probably be their last time.
0: Well, I was going to say, I, I don't those one names you just picked off. I'm guessing I don't know. It must be world ranking points, and they're right. all falling precipitously because the live events don't have world rankings so for those folks it probably would be their last time unless right. they you know win a major or something or
1: right i mean you see Schwartzel and dj and mickelson right well and, they're the former, champions, right, former right. champions they're going to play there as long as you know as long as it's allowed for them to play but the other guys i think you're going to see them quickly falling by the wayside because right you know they're they're just not going to be there joaquin neiman's another guy i think he's kind of interesting he talked about how you know, he, he likes that there's a competition between the two tours. I mean, the whole notion of them having some tournament with the two tours, why would the PGA Tour do that? Why would they validate?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, that, that ain't going to happen. That's not, not going to happen.
1: It's not going to happen. And, you know, I'd say in the next year we'll see something going on that tells us how much more money the Saudis want to invest into this ridiculous venture to try and sports wash their horrible human rights policies. I mean, it's just pretty obvious that this isn't going to work, you know, they've got the bounce out of it, whatever bounce they got, they got, but nobody's signing. Do you see anybody rushing to the live tour right now? Well, that's sort of the
0: interesting thing, generally, right. To just talk about live. I mean, it's, it's, um, we had that flurry last year, of course, cause it was just starting, but, um, I'm trying to think other than Thomas Peters, um, I'm trying to think who I can't even think of who else has signed recently. Um, and, um, so, no, you don't see people rushing there. You do see, you know, a little belt tightening by the Saudis talking about some of these expenses. Now the teams are going to bear these expenses as opposed to, you know, the Saudis bearing them. And, and they seem to be cutting down on a few things. So the bottomless, um, endless pit of money, bottomless pit of money seems like it it has a limit um and And who um...
1: isn't tuning in to see the crushers versus the niblicks (laughs) right i think it's so ridiculous well are are they
0: gonna i have lost track are they gonna wear their team gear this
1: week i don't know i mean i that's kind of i wish i knew the ins and outs of what august Nationalist told them is acceptable in terms of their promotion of their tour you know i mean norman came out with this ridiculous statement yesterday that all 18 guys Yeah, in the they're going to be at the 18th hole if one guys, of them,
0: exactly. If one of them wins, they're all going to, it's going to be like right. the Ryder Cup. They're all right. going to be celebrating.
1: And then Cameron Smith today was interviewed. I as, saw that. Yeah. And they they asked him the question and he said, "I." they must have kept it for me because I didn't hear about that as being right. planned. That him. was but
0: awesome. I saw if that. He just threw his
1: own countrymen. Right under the bus. It was fantastic. You right. know, exactly what you expect. Gee, Norman lied. I'm shocked. I mean, all of us are flabbergasted that the guy would i mean it's just it's a silly dumb distraction it'll be the biggest distraction this tournament and then it'll wane at the u.s open yeah it'll continue to go down you know from the pga to the u.s open eventually to to the open championship and it'll be a non-factor and those guys that have made those choices will not be on anybody's lips during the Ryder cup in the united states right they're not right. going to be an issue and Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter will think about what could have been in terms of their captaincies and vice captaincies, because they're going to be done and it'll be what it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll fall away unless, you know, you see these guys winning major championships over the next, you know, four months, which seems unlikely, but I guess anything's possible.
0: Yeah. but I'm really going to be interested in how many of them make the cut. I mean, if, if you get a situation where, where it is 18 of them, I mean, if, you know, if 12 or 14 of them miss the cut and there's only, I mean, that's going to be quite a, and cause people are watching that like a Hawk. And that'll be a big thing this week for sure.
1: I mean, um, what, what is Mick? It was funny. Cause I think they put, it was an April fool's thing. They had like tiger was going to be playing with Phil. Yes. And, and then Rory was playing with Patrick Reed and you know, all this silly stuff was going was on. Some, I,
0: I have to say there's, there was some great golf April fool stuff done this year. I don't think, I'm trying to think if it was Jeff Shackelford or somebody on the website sort of said, you know, announcement. It actually had me going for about five seconds. Announcement. Fred Ridley has announced that Augusta is going to be an anchor site for the Masters for the next <laughs> 70 years. I'm thinking, what? And then I realized it was April 6th. But um, no, I, I agree. Um, just one other thing uh, on Augusta. Um, what By do you the think way, the you third- know Norman
1: yeah. wasn't invited again this year, right?
0: So I I kind of assume that right, yeah. but why would I he? Mean, even, he doesn't. I he's, mean, he's a not former a,
1: major champion, so all major champions get invited to go play the Par 3 tournament.
0: Oh, I didn't. Okay, you're bad at me. I
1: didn't realize that. Okay, interesting. So, so last year they gave him a pass, a grounds pass. That's all they gave him last year. Oh,
0: I didn't know all this. This is interesting.
1: And this year they haven't sent him anything. And he thought it was he. His word that he used was petty which is probably a guarantee that he will never again get an invite. Oh, you can you can trust that.
0: Well, right. and, you know, and, and all the litigation that's going on and all the depositions that have been served, not only on Fred Ridley, but on a couple of the members there who are involved in it. I mean, right. not a way to endear yourself uh, to Augusta National.
1: I did hear a funny thing because Dave Marr was going over past masters, I think on the, on Sirius XM. And. Okay. He was talking about, uh, he was talking to Adam Scott and Adam Scott, talk about Norman and all, and obviously Augusta. And he said, you know, cause that stretch, we talked about it from 86 through PG, you know, through the masters of 87 where Norman three times. Yeah. He won the
0: Saturday slam.
1: Yeah, he did. He won the Saturday slam, but it was great. Was that. Despite you know Larry Mize chipping in an 87 on him and Tway out of the bunker in 86, he said that if he had a career mulligan, the one place he'd like to have that mulligan was on the 18th hole in 1986 with the foreign Jack. The yeah right. So it, it it warms my heart and gives me a little bit of joy that he's the most sad about that particular shot in his career, seeing as to now how he can't even set foot on the property. That's a good thing.
0: It is uh, understood. No, he's really, I I totally agree. One other thing on Augusta, I wanted to get your take on um, what they did to the 13th hole. Um, I guess necessary given the distance stuff, but um, kind of brings it more back into the way it used to be 30, 40 years ago. So, you know, it was a very expensive fix because they literally had to go buy the land from Augusta Country Club, which is, you know, is right next door. And they took out a chunk of the ninth hole of Augusta Country Club. So they had to pay for Augusta Country Club to reroute their ninth hole. And they, but it all looks beautiful, as you would expect, you know, it all looks seamless now when you look at it. And although it takes about two minutes for them all to go to leave the 12th green and walk all the way up to this T that they're going to use four times a year.
1: But be
0: that as it may, I mean, um, kind of restores the hole a little bit more to the risk reward. I think that it used to be. Yeah,
1: I was, it's interesting hearing the you know the players talk about thirteen and fifteen. Yeah, you know, and how both those holes have changed quite significantly. Obviously, thirteen they haven't played yet in, in tournament, but we'll see that this year. But you know, it's easier to draw through with it as a driver,
0: right? You know? Exactly. So
1: for the right-handed players in the field, obviously, I'm not trying to disrespect Mike Weir. Phil or, or Phil else. or Phil, right. Yeah. Or, Bubba, or Bubba, another, you know, great live champion, um, you know, from <laughs> from hitting the high cut, but it is easier to hook a three wood, yep. you know? So um, hitting a high slinging three wood that goes right to left is a lot easier than trying to turn the driver over. And because of the length of the hole, hitting that high three wood won't get around the corner. So you're going to see a lot of players hitting driver off that tee that haven't been and what will probably be the case is that it will bring in the pine straw up on the right a little bit more. And it'll give guys a longer second shot off of more of a hanging lie than they've been hitting in previous years. The argument against it, obviously, is that, well, we want all the roars on Sunday. And, you know, but there's something to be said for what happened to Curtis Strange. For sure. Know? I mean, that's part of Augusta. And I don't think that 13 has played the role that it had played previously, where trying to hit a long iron or a fairway wood off of that hanging lie which is incredibly difficult guys are hitting shots into that green that stop you know over the last 10 years well they're hitting eight irons
0: there's exactly
1: so that should change things a little i think it'll bring 13 bring the creek into play a little bit more you know i still don't think you're going to see a lot of guys laying up there They, they don't need to you know the old guys weren't getting there anyway so they're laying up so right it'll change it'll change the difficulty of the second shot. It should bring the water into play a little bit more, but also bring that left edge of the green into play a lot more too, because that's the bailout is to blow it left. And that's always a a dicey situation hitting a pitch shot on that hole. So it just brings the short game into play more, which I think is a good thing. And that's a nervy pitch anyway. If you happen to be out of position, you have to lay up on that little down slope. You try to get as far for sure. That couldn't, can't be a fun shot to hit all the time. That and the wedge on 15 are both. I think they're both very difficult little wedges. Very shot, difficult.
0: So. Right. And and 13 has the shelf in the back where they usually have the pin one day and then get it to stop. I mean I remember Trevor Immelman when he won, who's now the announcer there. I mean, hit that credible, that one bouncer and stops up on the ledge. That's hard to do. Um, and you're hitting off that downhill lie. One quick thing, because you mentioned and everyone talks about it, but for people who are listening may not know, why exactly is it easier to hook a three wood?
1: Because it has more loft. So the driver has less loft. And what's interesting about the clubs in the bag is that, you know, when you're talking about wedges, you can't hook a wedge, right? It's very difficult. It's easier to hook a wedge than slice a wedge because as you're hooking a wedge, the face is left of the path, which is a little less lofted. So you're taking loft off, which makes it a little easier, but it's hard to hit curves with wedges. We know that in short irons. And then you get towards the middle of the bag. It's a little easier. But the three-wood has enough loft, and you're hitting it with enough speed to create a lot of curve. So the three-wood on 10 and what used to be the three-wood on 13, both clubs that you'd you see guys pulling three-wood on those holes to, to sling the ball a little more aggressively, where the driver comes off with less spin, and it's harder to get to curve as much. So the driver is a tougher club to sling. It's just a little tougher to do. The three because of the lot.
0: reduced loft on it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So trying to hit that thing from right to left is a lot more difficult with the driver. So it just changes the hole a little bit. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, I mean, I think Bobby Jones said, what, what gave you the, what gave you the idea that you were entitled to birdie every hole, you know, (laughs) when people complain about how difficult a hole was or a hole location and he's right. You know, I think there's something pretty cool about watching a hole where Leads change not because of Eagles and Birdies, but sometimes because of others.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, 17 at Sawgrass is is not a birdie hole, but it changes the tournament. Totally. You know, and you can go through an 18 at sawgrass, same thing, right? So is there something to be said about a hole that like 13 at Augusta, where now three still in play, as is four for most of the guys. You're still gonna hit the green or get around it. 5 should be the highest score you can make but you can see sixes on that hole easy and sevens and yep. that's a good thing you know you can have not just a shot swing it can be a multiple shot swing on one hole because once you get past 15 which Rojang failed almost fatally made the mistake of, yeah. there oh, is no yeah. other difficulty you, there's nowhere else you can really hurt yourself yes there's water on 16 but i mean it's not a long enough shot for you to hit in that water unless you've done something pretty bad especially where you're aiming which is on the right half of that green on a Sunday right,
0: right. so for the slope right
1: but 13 and 15 become the two holes where you could really do yourself some damage if you have a lead coming down the stretch and you never you just don't hit a club that can get you in the water especially on 15 that was a that was a poor decision but it's part of what we love about the term because we 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 know all the many years that have gone by and all the people that have had their triumphs and tragedies on all the holes. So it's pretty fun. Yeah.
0: Curtis, Curtis had both of them. Right. So yeah, that's, that, that's for sure. Um, Talking about distance. um, The other big development that's happened over the last few weeks is the USGA's proposed model local rules. So this has been going on and on and on the distance study was I've lost track, but number of years ago, um, you know, this is not a big surprise, you know, that, you know, when we're talking about eight irons into 13 at Augusta, you know, the ball is going a lot, or the shots are going with the ball in the club a lot farther than they used to. So they've proposed a model local rule wouldn't take effect until 2026. Um, And um, whatever the metrics are in terms of how fast the uh, testing thing is, it SMA go 10 to 15 yards shorter, I think, you know, for the elite players. Um, a lot of, you know, not surprisingly, you know, unhappiness from some of the manufacturers. Um, some of the top players who are affiliated with some of these manufacturers seem to be just having their talking points and talking about it. But curious what your reaction is to it. Um, and um, uh, in terms of that being at least a start of, trying to get a handle on distance issues with golf courses?
1: Well, I don't know. It's not really made for today. I mean, that was a ruling that's probably made for the future. You know, I I can't imagine them rolling things back from where they currently are, you know, but it may put a hard stop on things being able to get that much further from where we are today. Maybe, you know, you hear both sides of the argument. It's great that, professionals can play the same ball as an amateur can buy off the, off the shelf and experience the game the same way. But if anybody thinks that an amateur is experiencing the game the same way as a professional, right. they're out of their mind.
0: Exactly. It's not That's happening. my view too. It Exactly.
1: It's just not even close to the same game. So I, I, I think that it's probably an, uh, the necessary thing to do for the future of all of these golf courses because not every course can go by part of the ninth hole at Augusta country club and just reroute a hole, you know, like it just isn't possible. So at some point it's a good idea. I'll give you another wrinkle on it. Yeah. And that is that with everybody hitting it so much further and with everyone having that as a goal to hit it so much further, it's a lot more dangerous out there on a normal golf course than it used to be because you have people that are now, hitting the ball further in the air offline yep. than they were before. True. I mean, if you played, you know, with Mr. and Mrs. Haven Camp and they're they don't hit the ball more than 120 yards in the air, they hit every fairway. They're never going to miss a fairway, right? And then you play with an ex-baseball player who's six three and two twenty and swings it at 130 miles an hour, many times the ball's completely gone immediately. And who knows where it landed? It's so far offline. Right. So, speed with great speed comes great responsibility. And yes, people don't hit it very straight. And I'm telling you, it is definitely more dangerous on a golf course now than it has ever been. So, I think maybe for just for the good of the game, the people playing the game and the amateurs that are out there hitting the ball all over the universe, it may not be a bad idea to rein that in, at least keep it where it is right now. I mean, nobody's nobody that i teach that playing its on an elite level ever plays a course that's too long for them they just don't ever play that golf course right you know they're never gonna if you hit the seven iron if you average 175 yards which bj tour average and you hit the driver you know somewhere around 300 yards then a 475 yard par four is going to be a driver and a seven iron I mean when we grew up playing golf a 450 yard par four was a driver and a and a probably some wood of some sort coming out li- literally wood coming out of your bag to get to the green
0: and I was going to say a different... in a 475 yard hole was called the par five
1: indeed it was <laughs> so like it that has changed significantly and that's fine you know better athletes better equipment better techniques all that stuff great but I mean at some point you can't have par fives be driver wedges it's it just is it doesn't do anything for the game and yeah it was exciting watching Rory drive it on the 18th hole at the match play, but I mean, okay, fine. He he made three, you know, there's, there's guys that hit driver in the fairway back in the day and then knock it up on the green and make three, two. So I I don't think that it's going to have that much of an adverse effect on the excitement of the game or scoring. And it probably keeps golf courses relevant that may otherwise not be if they don't do something. So.
0: I I agree that. Let me add one other thing on that general topic. Do you think, um, they should be doing stuff beyond just tweaking the ball um you know the thing to me um you know having played um good lord 50 years now i think um you know yeah. is the 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 club head the driver especially is so 465 cc's or 460 so much bigger than it used to be and when you used to play persimmon woods um the the Um, you know, the margin for error was so much smaller. And with these big clubs, I mean, you can just wail on it. Um, And, you know, if you hit it a little off center, you know, you're going to get a hell of a lot better result than you would have if you were taking that kind of cut at, you know, a persimmon driver back in the day. And so I'm just wondering, I mean, has the skill gone out of it a little bit? I mean, because, you know, part of what I think... Enables these people; they hit it so far as they're swinging so hard because the clubs are so big that they can sort of the misses are not nearly as devastating as the misses would be if you were swinging like that with a persimmon wood, right?
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. I know they did a thing on the European Tour with somebody, and I forget who the professional was on the DP World Tour that did this, but he used his driver, his ball. Then they used his driver in a ball, and a Bellota ball. They used. a persimmon head with his ball and the persimmon head with of ball and what he did the first few is he mishit them so bad with the persimmon head it was it was pretty funny and he's like man this thing is small you know <laughs> and not only are you miss hitting the sweet spot which is much much smaller but the toe and the heel used to really cost you
0: Cost you yeah. dearly. Absolutely.
1: And it's not the case anymore. I mean, you can you can spray it a little bit all over that face and still get a pretty good result. Exactly. Right. And I don't know who the commentator was last, last weekend, but it was pretty interesting when he said that the driver used to be the hardest of the bag to hit, and now it's the easiest. Exactly. That's totally I, true. I don't disagree with that. So I think, you know, somewhere along the way, there's things like that that would be a good thing to do. I, I think somebody mentioned, you know, take away the T as an option, you know, for players can't use the T. That would be kind of interesting. That's Maybe, interesting. Limit, limit the height of the T. That's a possibility, I guess. Those are silly, but kind of interesting ideas. I'd love to see sand traps and bunkers become hazards again, where yeah. they're raked with, you know, a, a much wider right. tooth than get what some they furrows are now. going. Right. Exactly. Yeah, where every ball that goes in there, doesn't roll down to the bottom of perfectly man- manicured bunker. It's a completely different shot to have to play, and takes more oh, skill. Totally, totally. You know, so if, if you start looking at those things, I, I like that most courses have driven the higher rough off of the edges of the greens and made chipping areas because that yeah. is another thing strategically that and and skill wise that ch- that challenges players to have to be better at. But the other thing is that you know, look at the golf courses that that are tough, and even some of the holes that are tough are just incredibly well designed. Yes. You know, like 10 at Riviera. Yeah. Uh, almost all the holes at Harbor Town, Yeah. You know, Colonial. There's courses that still hold up because they're shot making courses. Then you have to control your ball. Yeah. And you can't put length on a course and think it will matter to these guys. It's just not going to make any difference. Right. You have to have dog legs. You have to have things in the way. Yeah. You know, Wind and firmness are the only two things that make any difference. If you have the green soft enough and there's no wind you could have an 8,000-yard golf course and they're going to shoot 65. Yeah,
0: totally, exactly. totally agree with that. So um, I agree. The, one other thing, for I because I do want to get to the women's game in a second, but um, the PGA Tour, we talked a little about Liv and the PGA Tour's response. I'm curious your take on it. So um, it's interesting, right? Because we had that players-only meeting in Delaware that Rory and Tiger kind of ran. Um, last summer, and this concept of these designated events—I mean, the, the notion being the leading players should be playing together more often. So we had these designated events, which you know were the majors of players and a handful of others, including, fortunately for us here, the Riviera. You know, not surprising because Tiger Association and you know Arnold's tournament and Jack's tournament, et cetera. And um, but they were still, at least initially going to have cuts and they did. Um, but now they've kind of fleshed this out a little bit more. And now these designated events uh, for 2024, which is really going to be kind of the first season where all this stuff really gets fully implemented. In addition to getting around the rid of the wraparound, we're going to have these designated events with only 60 to 70 players. Um, and the thing personally that I struggle with no cuts, um, you know, the big argument against Live and not getting world ranking points was there's no cuts. Um, and um, I understand there's still lots of differences in terms of qualifying for these everything than, than Live. Yes. I'm not saying that there still aren't differences, but I don't understand why there couldn't be cuts. You just mentioned or we were just talking about Augusta which does not have that many more players than these designated events, maybe close to 90. Uh, I think it's 88 this year. Something It's usually in the high 80s, 90, and they certainly have a cut. So here's kind of your take and your reaction to what the PJ Tour has done with these designated events.
1: I mean, maybe the first, the timing and the, the way they got the information out was poor, to say the least, right? They'd come off a great, span of tournaments with designated events that were incredibly successful and they gave Liv some talking points that that was unnecessary. They could have waited on that, found a a more dead time in terms of the new cycle or something. That wasn't very smart, but there are a gazillion differences. First of all, you can't qualify for the Liv Tour. Right, right. You you qualify for the PGA Tour. You can play your way into a place on the PGA Tour where you get into a world golf WGC event, which is no longer going to be the case, but they they were no cut events. They were no cuts too. That's
0: true. Yep.
1: There are those. Um, As long as there, let's say there's 70 player fields and 50 players are in, and the other 20 can be somehow you can get into that based on what it is. Right. That's
0: right. That is how it is.
1: That's a good idea. So I think, you know, give people options to get in. I understand that the reason why the designated events are critical is because the tour has changed from what Gary McCord and and his group did to the tour, back to a tour focused mostly on the best players. I mean, and it's funny because the players that are complaining about it, and nobody cares if, you know, if we see, you know, the players that are complaining complaining about it in the in the field, nobody's going to care. You know, where you want to see the best players yeah. in the field. So, the the all exempt one twenty five was. Just, It hurt the tour, in my opinion. I mean, it was understandable why, but I mean, back when guys were traveling around trying to get on on Mondays, I mean, and you had more than four spots on a Monday, and you had to really play well to keep your status on the tour, and that that was a good thing for the tour. But it, but when you went to the 125, you had a lot of guys that were not in contention, hardly ever older dudes that were making money and they're keeping their spots, and younger players are having a tougher time getting to the tour. Right. So it's interesting because even now, like the sponsor exemptions do not go to the to Charlie Hoffman, you know, or the 35 year old guys that are out there that are retreads that are, you know, just making checks where that's all that they ever used to go to. Now they go to young players because, you know, tournaments want to associate themselves with a younger player and get them into the field. And maybe that player plays well and it's great for them going down the road for the player and for the for the event. So I like what they've done with the PGAU stuff, with they're trying to get these college kids with a more direct path to get out yeah, there.
0: That's true too.
1: They've done a better job with that. So I think the more, yes, I understand there's no cut, but it's so much more competitive to keep your card than it's, than it used to be. Yeah. It's competitive to get yeah. into that top 50. Those tournaments with all those players can be very competitive. Um, It's changing, you know, and they had to do something to keep the stars happy and keep them on the PGA tour. And they did that. And that's a good thing because you want not just the best players playing, but you want them playing at venues that and tournaments that we all know. You oh, know, for sure. That it's really important to have that. So I, I I get it. And I think the timing was dumb. And I don't like the notion of no cut, but there are many other events that are cuts. And I think that you know the other events do benefit that aren't designated because there, there's gonna be a lot of really good players that are not going to get into those designated events next year and they'll be they'll be helping those buffer to get yep. into those other events to kind of bolster the fields a little that maybe were otherwise not as strong right obviously some tournaments are going to get hurt by that but you know you can't worry about every tournament on the tour and every player in the top 125 you got to worry about you know making the brand strong and that's you do that on the backs of rory and Scheffler and all these other guys you don't do it on the guys that are at the bottom of the uh the tour's money list trying to somehow scrape their way into the top 125 i'm not going to mention any names because we both know who i'm thinking about but yeah i mean you just don't have that's not where you're going to build the tour no i that that
0: part that part i agree with i think they could have done this and still had cuts but but i agree with all the other changes and i particularly i'm glad you mention Gary McCord in the all-exempt tour because I was actually thinking about that one of my favorite golf books of all time um is Frank Beard's book of his year on the tour in 1969 written with the great Dick Schapp. um uh, and it is an incredible I mean and he was very camp Frank Beard would you know every night sort of he had a cassette tape recorder he brought with him all year long and he would talk into it and send the tapes back to New York to Dick Schaap and they put together this book. And, and Frank, you know, turns out he was the leading money winner in 1969. Um, and of course, you know, he had kind of a sad, um, tailspin to his career. He was became an alcoholic and everything. And, and he's been very open about that, but, um, the reason I mention all that is because he was so focused on being in the top 60 sort of to get his card for for the next year, because, you know, as you were alluding to, if you didn't, and you weren't, you, you were sitting there, you were a rabbit, right? That's what they used to call them. The rabbits. They would hop from tournament to tournament and try to get them into the tournament on Monday qualifiers. So it was a big dividing line between the top 60 and the rest of the tour. And we lost that. Um, and in retrospect, that was a bad thing to lose because it just diluted the product. Right. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, you were sort of benefiting, you know, not to be harsh here, but the bottom half of the, um, uh, of the tour and the negative was not just the top players, but us as consumers of it, um, not having as good a product.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it's better for everyone and the sport when you know where all the best players are going to play every year. Yeah. That's a good thing. And I understand that, you know, the Valspar's and those events, the San Antonio, whatever it is, they, they all want to have their you know, players come out and play in those events that are recognizable, but players aren't going to play 30 events here. They're just not going to do right. that. You know? So it, it's better if all the best players are going on a more regular basis. If you don't have that, you have tennis you know, or the (laughs) only time they ever play in the same event is (laughs) the majors.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right.
1: Right. It's a, it's a completely irrelevant tour, you know, and you want it to matter. So to do that, you have to find a way to get them out there on those, on that number of terms, because it's not about the money. You know, if a player doesn't, it's, it's why the match play is not working. You know, it's why taking them out, we'll go, we'll go to Australia and play, you know, we'll play a Melbourne country club. Everybody will want to go there and we'll, throw a lot of money at it nobody's going to go because nobody wants to go over there because they're making plenty of money not going right you know there's certain things you can't just you can't throw the money at and make it work you know it has to have some relevance it has to be within the flow of a season and we know kind of where those breaks need to be right before a major you know it's a good time to take a break right okay if you're that if you're that event right before the major you know you're going to have Ian Poulter be your champion at Houston one year because this is <laughs> the, the class of the competition that you're getting so you know but basically like that's just the nature of it you know this, you can't not everything's gonna be perfect but it's important to have those guys playing all the time
0: yeah I I agree with that um so let me kind of uh close you out and go back to Augusta and Rose mm-hmm. um because um Uh, I, I am a big fan of hers. Um, I think, you know, and I, and I, you've said this, I've said this, and I actually heard a couple of people on TV say this the other day, that she is clearly the number one amateur male or female in the world. Um, and, um, so interesting, right? Those first two days. So just to back up so people know this, so this, um, it's called the Augusta National Women's Amateur, but they actually only play the final round only at Augusta after a cut the first two rounds are played i don't even remember the name of the course some course in augusta in in the town of augusta not to be confused with augusta national or augusta country club it's neither one um and she just dominated those first two days shot 66 65 this is the fourth one she's played in all of them this is the fourth one she's played and she always has struggled she makes the cut and she's always struggled at augusta national she's got a four-shot lead uh, or, I'm, I'm sorry, I think at one point it was six shots. I'm, but she, six, yeah. At, yeah, but six, you know, shoots 66 65. I and mean, she's just, I mean, watching those highlights the first two days, just flawless golf. Um, and gets out there and starts with a double. And, you know, things start sliding the wrong way for her. Um, and she um, loses the lead. Um, and she ends up tied and you know as you say on the back nine um, she um, and after her dad we we could debate this too her dad is uh, you know is a pretty big part of her golfing life is on the back Um, and um, they have a big discussion over that shot on 15 and she insists on going for it and of course knocks in the water makes six and um ends up in a playoff which she ends up winning what did you sort of think watching all that i mean it's so interesting because she is so metric just so it's just almost hogan-esque in the way you know she, every shot every iron seems to be exactly pin high uh it may be left or right's pin high you know drive always in play you know but things were slipping there at augusta
1: for her yeah i think it's champions retreat is that the name of it that's the name uh, you, you know, got it. It. champions
0: retreat very good that's right
1: Right. So she obviously dominated the first two rounds. And then, you know, it's weird. They have that practice round on, on Friday, which right. is so there's a day in
0: between. I should mention that too. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, right. the first two round cuts made, and then you get a practice round Friday and then the tournament final round right. is Saturday.
1: It's, which is weird. So I've never very, very strange, right? But they do it that way. And, and so whatever incredible momentum she had after the, first two rounds was gone by the time she teed off on the first full of Augusta. And she had had, like you said, some, a lack of success there in the previous, uh, and was that she'd played in. So it was kind of interesting watching it slip from her and her dad doesn't usually caddy for, you know? And so this was the first time he was on the bag and he was the one trying to convince her to go for it. Right. Which was, you know, look, uh, let me tell you, as a dad of a daughter who plays competitive golf, I was gonna, this
0: is why I wanted to ask you this because, of course, you know, just for our listeners, I mean, Brady's, both of Brady's daughters are phenomenal athletes. They were phenomenal soccer players. And just to show how much athletic talent they have, the younger one, Maddie, um, uh, or it the, I'm getting a mixed up, right? Which, older, which yes. is older one. Sorry about that. My apologies, Maddie. The older one, you know, turns to golf in like 10th grade. And, you know, is so talented, you know, she ends up getting a scholarship playing at Irvine, um, and she's a tremendous player. So, you know what it's like to have a daughter who is, you know, playing at that level, right?
1: Yeah, and I, she overcame bad coaching, clearly, and and <laughs> managed to play. But I did caddy for her a lot, and I coached her in college golf as a coach at UC Irvine. So, I, I've right. been in that situation a lot of times. Right. And I can tell you what you don't do is talk her out of what she wants to do. Right. Because when it fails, which it almost always will, it will be your fault. There's no question about it. And you have to own that one because you're the dummy that took her off the club or off the thing that she wanted to do. And, you know, you learn as as any caddy learns and especially as a father that. It's better if they make their own decision and, and go for it and feel good about it than to make the decision that you want them to make. That almost always doesn't work in anything. Well, and parent.
0: in golf, right? We all know. I mean, you've got to have That's a commitment horrifying. when you get over the ball. And right. it's hard to be
1: committed when it wasn't your decision, right? And it was pretty interesting her, hearing her talk about it because she was so diplomatic about it. And she yeah, was Yeah, so not tell lame. me about So
0: I actually, what I didn't watch it. I just read about it. So what did she say?
1: She said like, you know, you know we're talking about it, and you know, I'd I'd found something in my swing, and you know, back up a little that. bit right. Right. She, the rain delay saved her, you know. She was just yes. playing not she's playing poorly, and the rain delay gave her a big opportunity to go sort things out, and she did not call her coach, George Pinnell. She didn't reach out to him, she's just to work it out on her own, which she's pretty famous for doing that by herself. But anyway, when she gets back out there and they're on the 15th hole, and he's trying to talk her into it. And then she decides to do it and then hits it in the water and barely makes bogey, you know, made a six footer for bogey back up the hill after she ran it past, after she hit the wedge past the hole, which she said, if she didn't make that putt, she was a goner. That's what she said. Pretty interesting. Wow. That's interesting that that she said that. Yeah. But it was pretty funny because she was talking about their conversation and she was not blaming him in any way publicly. So she did a very good job of hiding sort of her, you know, she could have easily said, yeah, the old man told me to go for it. I shouldn't have done that. But it shows you, like, it doesn't matter what level it is. You have to stay committed. So she she should have, with a two-shot lead at that point, very simply hit it down the left side in front of the water, hit a wedge up on the green, made four or five, whatever it was, because that's the last hard shot right? that she got, right? So, like, when you're watching this tournament like we've watched so many times, that's the last time you're in major trouble is when you're trying to hit that second shot on 15. Once you get it over the water on 15, you're kind of you're kind of in the clear. You know, yes, yeah. 16 has water, but you can blow it right on that hole and yeah. have it roll yeah. down the hill. Even if you hit it on the right half of the green, you can still make par there. But it's 15, that second shot, that is the last spot of, of bother that you have to deal with. And she didn't deal with it very well. No. She got away with it. You know, she really got away with it. So it's it's good. She deserved to win. She's the best player in the game on the women's side. You know, um, I taught a pretty good amateur, you know. More than pretty good. Two
0: two time US amateur champion.
1: She was number one in the world at the time and she was a great player. But I mean Rojang has had a career that's I can't imagine anybody. I mean even this year, I think she's played in six college events and won five of them or something crazy. Something like like
0: that. that. Yeah, something crazy. Four of five
1: or five of six. (laughs) I mean what the heck is that? They're not playing in, you know, in some tournament in Reno, you know, they're playing the biggest <laughs> tournaments in the country and she's winning all of those, you know, she's an LPGA tour, uh, no brainer and she's foregone that to, to stay in the amateur game, maybe to win this tournament, who knows? It may, it may be her motivation, but it's, she's, she's, she's going to be a lot of fun. I can't remember a more, you know, herited and ballyhooed woman amateur, that's going to come out that than her and she deserves that
0: i agree what is it about her game that impresses you
1: she just is a professional you know i mean t to green you know she's so good technically her swing is fantastic you know um they did a slow-mo of her swing uh, really one of the high-speed cameras and watching it she's like she swings it really good i mean she's She's elite in terms of ball striking. She's incredibly smart. Like you said, she's very methodical how she goes about her game. No holes, you know, no no spots where you're like, well, yeah, but, you know, what about that part of her game? Don't see that with her, you know? Don't see that. I think she's got as well-rounded a game as anybody right now in the world of golf, period. You know, I'm not, as I've said to you many times, you know how I feel about the women's game. Yeah. I think they play, they play, they're better tee to green than the guys when it comes to their ability to hit balls, hit hit the ball solid and control distance and hit it solid, hit it straight. Their Minji was her stats were ridiculous last year. Yeah, I know compared to the entire world of golf. So and this Rojang is that good. So can't wait to see her out on tour playing. You know, against the best players in the world, week in and week out, it's gonna be a lot of fun to see her. It, it
0: is. I think. I think she's. That's gonna be happening in a couple of months. I, I don't know if you
1: can is... hear this though. Was she? I guess today, her and her teammate Rachel Heck were out watching the golf today. And I think I forget who was playing. I think it was Tiger and Warrior. Somebody were playing a practice round, and those two were just out watching the guys play. And they were on the 12th hole, and I might be getting the story wrong, but I think this is what happened, that Tiger stopped and, you know, walked over and said, congratulations, as did Rory. And they both said, hey, everybody, this is the Gus National Women's Amateur Champion, Rojang, and everybody clapped for her. So
0: what That's a great – neat.
1: Very cool, you know, that they took the time to do that. And, you know, game recognizes game. St- and Stanford no alum
0: recognizes Stanford alum.
1: Oh my goodness! Here we go. I I couldn't. I couldn't miss
0: that opportunity.
1: (laughs) Very nice, Larry. Very nice. (laughs) No, I think. I think
0: this is. You know, I the Stanford women's team. You know, is a juggernaut. um, With those two, with Megagani, I mean, they've got a lot of firepower, and um, uh, I'm hopeful that they will successfully defend their NCAA. Team championship and Rose is defending her individual championship. And I suspect after that, um, she'll probably be going out on the tour. But we will um we shall see. The women's game, as usual, you know, so much talent. Um, and um, you know, I um uh was just talking with John Sawin, who is the director of golf at Pebble Beach and chairman of the upcoming US Women's Open there. You know, you and I have talked about this. I mean, it's great that the USGA is elevated the women's open going to places like pebble like amy alcott getting them to come to riviera um you know the list of courses in the coming years is great and the women's game is just fantastic that's for sure
1: it is it is who's your pick this week larry i gotta know
0: oh you gotta get me before i was i thought i was gonna get out of here without without having to commit um you know it's it's always hard for me because i've got a sort of put, you know, I'm such a Jordan guy, but I just, I can't, there's too many mistakes he's making that I just can't see. I could certainly see him being top five even, but I can't, I can't see him doing it. Um, You know, um, I know this is like going the easy route, but I watch Scheffler. And I mean, the control that he has over all those shots, including those partial pitches that are so, Critical at a place like Augusta, I have trouble betting against him. But I will tell you, the one you picked, I I wouldn't bet against him. I could see Burns um, coming through for sure. Um, but um, I probably, I can kind of see Scheffler going back to back. I really can.
1: Way to go out on a limb, Larry. Good job. Well, I always do. You know me. Yeah, I yeah, always go good. out and t- I
0: always go out and take you know uh, go out on a limb. That's me to a T. You know me well enough, right?
1: Yeah, you take the one to five guy every time. That's who <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, I
0: I I I have to confess that is true. Brady, this has been terrific. Thank you as always for making the time. And um, you know, it's a tradition like unlike any other. We'll see what happens.
1: Can't wait to can't wait to see it myself. We'll talk on Sunday, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure. Take care, Brady.